Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted. Please see the impact they are having in their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. Welcome to the show, everybody. We're so excited today. We have with us Lauren Green McAfee. Uh, Lauren, welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here with you all. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. So Lauren is a speaker, writer, and coffee enthusiast, woman after my own heart, with a heart to engage others in the Bible. While pursuing her graduate degrees in pastoral counseling and theology, Lauren worked for her father, Steve Green, as he founded Museum of the Bible in Washington, (laughs) D.C. My goodness. Today, Lauren, whose books include Not What You Think, and Only One Life, works at the Hobby Lobby corporate office and is pursuing a PhD in ethics and public policy at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Lauren and her husband, Michael, live in Oklahoma City and are the proud adoptive parents of their daughter, Zion, and soon to be adopted son, who right now we call Little E. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Lauren, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us today. And Lauren, I have to tell you, you have such a soft spot in my heart because when I very first was beginning to launch Women in Work, um, our very, I mean, our very, very first initial introducing women in work to the world. You were so gracious to come on and be a part of our panel. And I cannot tell you the rejoicing. When I when I got that email that said you were coming, you would be on that panel. I cannot tell you the rejoicing that went on in my house. And so it anyway. It was so fun. It was such an honor. And I, yeah, I still remember that event fondly. It was a great oh, event. Well, thank you so much. All right. Well, Lauren, one of the fun things we do on the show with every guest is just we ask them three rapid fire questions um, just to get to know you a little bit. So our first question is, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) So when I was a kid, I wanted to be either a veterinarian or a police officer. Those were the two jobs. Wow. Sounded very cool. Um, Yeah. I even shadowed a vet one time just to like see, I I was like 12, Uh Um, shadowed a vet and they were doing a surgery on an animal. And during the surgery, I passed out. And so I thought that's probably not the career path for me. And I never looked back. So I'm not a vet. (laughs) Look at how the Lord can give us clarity. Yeah, that was very clear. It was very old. (laughs) Well, then... The next question, which I can guess was not a vet tech, uh, what was your first job 
Yeah. (laughs) Not being a vet or vet assistant or anything related to that. Uh, Nothing in the medical field, especially. So my first first job um, was working at a Hobby Lobby store. So I, when I was, I was probably like 10, Uh I would get to, I would go with my dad. So my dad, every Christmas Eve would go to the Hobby Lobby stores and count the Christmas gift bags to see how many were left. Um, just is a very, um, it, like every year he would do that. And so whenever I was 10, I got to go with my dad and count bags and I, he'd give me a row and he'd say, count how many are here. And then I'd report back yeah. to him and he'd write it down and his thing. Um, so it was super fun. I loved it. It was like getting to go to work to that, but I actually like did some work too. So yes. okay, Lauren, that. I have I like sweet memories of those times. Just as you were talking, I feel like I remember reading maybe back when I had you on that panel, were you on, um, was there like a Hobby Lobby commercial you were on? Oh, or man. Yes. Hobby that? Lobby magazine. We did okay. some photo shoots and they, for some reason, decided to have me and my sisters be like the models. <laughs> the pictures, we look ridiculous. Um, How old I, were you? I like, Hope people don't find those pictures. Although, <laughs> no, it's maybe it's like good. It's humbling. So I, if I have them, I'll have to send them to you. But we like awesome. Okay. So here's our last question um, for the rapid fire. What kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80 years old? Yeah. Uh, oh, I love that question. Um, I want to be doing something to have eternal impact. Um, mm. Kind of this thinking about how we invest our time in the life that we have by way of leaving an eternal legacy, meaning investing things that are eternal, um, I want to be doing that. So um, I'm, I'm sure that'll include discipling young women and young leaders because um, I really care about investing in next generations. Love I love it. it. I love it. Well, Lauren, your life is big, right? Like, like every woman, like we're, you're juggling a lot of things. You're doing all kinds of things. So we want to talk to you about different facets of your life, but we want to start off with Hobby Lobby because it's like, how can you not talk yeah. about Hobby Lobby, right? <laughs> first job. Yes. So tell us about your grandparents, David and Barbara Green. They're the founders of Hobby Lobby, right? Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah tell so, us about it. I, we read about your grandfather, he didn't come from like a millionaire background, right? No, not at all. Yeah. So grandpa came from like very humble beginnings. Um, he was one of six kids and mm-hmm. his father was a pastor and his dad pastored churches that were all pretty small, like a hundred congregants or less. And so you can mm-hmm. imagine a pastor living off of a salary from a small church and having mm-hmm. so many kids. It was um, very challenging at times. Mm-hmm. He recalls not having meat on the table for, you know, uh, over a week or weeks at a time mm-hmm. just because they couldn't afford it. And so mm-hmm. um, he came from humble beginnings. My grandma did as well. And so they they met at a, a local five and dime shop they were <laughs> working yes. at. Uh, back when they were in high school. And so that's wow. how they first met. And then they um, got married and had a family really young after they got married. And um, so, yeah, they grandpa worked in, started working in other retailers whenever he was first in his career after high school. And eventually he, he, he wanted to go into business for himself. And he saw that there was a trend of small mini picture frames. And so mm-hmm. he thought, you know, maybe we could um, manufacture small picture frames. And so that's how he started Hobby Lobby was um, 
manufacturing in his own home and his garage, many picture frames and then selling them to shops. Um, so he was the um, kind of distributor. And then eventually, a couple years later, they opened up their first storefront, the first Hobby Lobby store, which was in wow. uh, 1972. And it was mainly small picture frames as well as a few other things. And it was like a uh, 600 square foot space. It was small. And that was the very first Hobby Lobby. Um, and that was uh, almost 50 years ago now, 1972. Has Good he ever mentioned to you how they came up with the name Hobby Lobby? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> so it's a funny story. He He's known for his business acumen, but he's uh -huh. not necessarily the creative. And so when it came to naming it, he just went with a name that he had heard another store called that he liked. So there was, so he founded um, in Oklahoma is where he founded Hobby Lobby. Okay. And there was a store in Texas that was like a car shop, I think is what he said, that was called Hobby Lobby. So he straight up just stole the name and <laughs> oh not thinking that it would grow into like outside of Oklahoma. Right. right. And so, wow. you know, I guess it worked out okay though, because the other Hobby Lobby in Texas ended up not lasting. And so praise eventually God. it was just, just Hobby yes. Lobby that we know today. <laughs> yes. Okay. Not praise God the place didn't last, but praise God the right. Right. dramatic, right? Yes. Yeah, that, that exactly. gotten a little hairy there. Um, so your, your grandparents both knew the Lord, grew up in a Christian home and really have carried that legacy of Christian faith moving mm -hmm. forward, even into um, the way they conduct business in Hobby Lobby. And so are there some, maybe some operating principles through the business of Hobby Lobby that, that really are, that make it distinctly Christian? I just wonder if there are a few things you could think of. Yeah. So as a part of the Hobby Lobby mission, um, it's stated that they want to do everything in a way that honors God. And so it, like even just like within the company and the leadership uh, mission, that's that's very clearly stated. So all of the leaders at the company know that. And um, it's very much a piece of the ethos of working there. Not, not all people that work there are Christians, of course. But um, for, for the founder and our family, that's it's a part of our lives. And it's the way they lead with um, in a way that we want to be God honoring. And then also Hobby Lobby does a number of other things. We have chaplains that are on staff and serve mm. um, all of the employees. So there, people can go to Bible studies on the clock if they would like to, wow. and that's offered. Um, we also have uh, had, we've come to be closed on Sundays. That I don't know if people know, but Hobby Lobby wasn't always closed on Sundays. Okay. Hobby okay. Lobby used to be open. And my grandpa recalls a time when he was uh, starting to feel convicted, like that Hobby Lobby should be closed. But mm -hmm. Sunday is a very profitable day. Weekends mm -hmm. in general are profitable for retailers. And so he he thought, well, we'll close the stores on Sunday in the state of Nebraska. And he chose Nebraska because there was like <laughs> one or two stores there. So it was okay. like not a huge – it seemed like not a big sacrifice. But he was like, we'll test and see if it works to be closed on Sundays there. And then if it works, we'll do that every else. And mm -hmm. it was like, as soon as he said it, he realized that he was saying, oh, so I'm only willing to be faithful to this conviction that I'm starting to have if it works out for me. Wow. You know? And so he, it was then as he was kind of processing through it, he decided, nope, we're going to close on Sundays. And so um, that's to allow the opportunity for employees to be with their families and attend church if they wish. Obviously, mm -hmm. not everyone does, but it does provide for that opportunity. Uh, and Hobby Lobby also 
donates 50% of its profits every year to Christian ministries and nonprofits wow. just as a way of um, start giving to the kingdom. 50%? 50%, yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, grandpa has just had a, a, a spirit of generosity um, in his, all in his life. And um, it's really cool to see that play out um, through the company. My goodness. If y'all can see Missy's face right now. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, wait. So I had a cake baking business, right? Love it. And this little cake baking business made so many pennies. And I was like, if I gave away 50%, make a cake next week. <laughs> I love it. But that's just, but. But so that just makes me really appreciate what that actually means to say I'm giving yeah. 50% away because I still have other things to pay for. Yeah. It doesn't like just all go to grandpa's pocket. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And it took time to get to that. The The company started its corporate giving back, oh, 30 years ago. And mm -hmm. um, it, st it started more modestly um, mm -hmm. at 10 or 15%. And then... Um, it's grown since then. So, you know, everyone will have That's to start awesome. somewhere, but I think yes. the important thing was they started somewhere. That's um, and, awesome. And, yeah. Well, and, and just, you mentioned his spirit of generosity. I mean, he's, he's written a couple of books and I'm just going to read the titles of them for our listeners. One is called a generous life. Okay. Mm -hmm. One is more than a hobby and one is giving it all away and getting mm -hmm. it all back. The mm -hmm. living, the way of, the way of living generously. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it just sounds like your granddad and probably even instilled in you all, um, his children and now grandchildren, just this idea of stewardship that he really views this as not his own. So uh, we're just wondering, like, what, how did he pass yeah. that on down to you? How do you guys view um, this business as a stewardship? What have you learned from him? Yeah, well, there's so many things. I think just the high level um, theme, though, has been grandpa is always reminding us and, and our family that, you know, what we have on here on earth is not going to last. Um, mm. The company uh, possessions, things are temporal and that's not going to be what matters uh, 150 years from now or even further. Mm. And so we, we see the things that we do have though um, as things that have been given to us by God. And so they're not ours to own. They're things that we are to steward well. So even the company, it's a family owned company, but actually all of our family um, gave up our rights to ownership of the company. And, and so it's owned by a trust that's managed by uh, a team, a board. Um, but that was uh, just another way that, we could practically say, no, we see this company as something that um, is to be stewarded. Like, I don't own this company. Um, no one owns this company. It's it's God's company. We want to we want to work hard for it. We want to steward it well. We want to continue to give towards kingdom impact through um, the way we the family runs the company and gives um, generously. And and so there's just so many ways that Grandpa's modeled that. And we, we have conversations as a family. You know, we gather uh, multiple times a year and just kind of remind each other of the values that we have and that that is the vision for our family and for our company is to have um, this kind of eternal mindset in in the way that we we live out uh, practically through our work um, and, and the way we live um, alongside each other as a family. And really, when you think about... <laughs> people who maybe don't know the Lord and they're starting a business, it really is all about them and making mm -hmm. money and accumulating for themselves or mm -hmm. creating, you know, a large bank account or making a name for themselves. But it sounds like the way that your 
family has really let out. I mean, just like you said, it's all for the Lord. And he has really blessed that. I mean, you guys started with just the one tiny little store. And then how many stores are there now? Like there's 950 stores um, in 47 states. Okay. That's just huge. And so I was telling Who are the lackeys that don't have a Hobby Lobby? Yeah. Who are the three? So uh, Hawaii and Alaska. And you know what? Actually, Delaware didn't, but I think that Delaware just got one last year. Good job, okay, Delaware. Hawaii and Alaska, we can get it. Yeah. It's not like yeah. Yeah, they're <laughs> Okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but even your the corporate offices, my husband and I, we um, were driving through Oklahoma City this summer, and I was like, all right, we got to ride by there. I <laughs> mean, Lauren, it is just, I mean, it seems miles and miles of just Hobby Lobby. I mean, it, it is, is massive. <laughs> it is massive. And I just... I think it's such a testament to how good the Lord is. Like when, when mm-hmm. you really follow his principles and trust him and say, no, this yeah. is about Jesus. It really is. Yeah. Even our money and business can be about him. And he just said, here, there you go. I'm just throwing blessing y'all your way. And so it's yeah. really amazing. No, it's, it is wonderful. And praise God for that. And it's not to say that there weren't hard times. I mean, the company has definitely had its challenges and been through seasons where grandpa didn't know if the company would survive and thought that they might close their doors. But, um, every, every time we're up against one of those seasons, it's been a constant, um, reminder and opportunity to continually give, um, give everything back to the Lord and remind our hearts, you know, this, this isn't ours. And so it is God's and he'll do what he wills with it. And our job is to be faithful and to work hard and do the best that we can. So, yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. So Lauren, (laughs) what was it like? Like there had to be a moment in your mind where one day, fifth grade, 10th grade, whatever, something like my family, our situation is slightly different. We <laughs> own Hobby Lobby. My classmates, right? Yes. So what was it like growing up as this is the family business? Yeah. Like all my friends' moms come here to where we're... <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's funny people ask that and it, to me, it was just my normal that, Mm -hmm. and and I wouldn't say my family like talked about the company a whole lot to each other. It was just, it was work and it was, you know, I knew that dad went to work and that grandpa also worked at the same office. I I didn't even necessarily for a long time put together like, oh, they work at the same office because like the family started this and it's like, okay, sure. (laughs) So um, I think I was honestly like in upper high school when I realized like, oh, like, yeah, uh, not not everyone's parents go to work like with all the rest of their family. Right. <laughs> <A little laughs> unusual. Um, and, and Hobby Lobby also, you know, I'm uh, more than a decade out of college. So <laughs> um, right. Back when I was in high school, the company was also smaller. And so it wasn't necessarily as big. It was like half the size that it is today, even less than that. So it was a little smaller too. But yeah, I just honestly, I I didn't think about it. I didn't know. I didn't know better. I didn't know that it was unusual. I will say (laughs) I grew up and we didn't have Hobby Lobby where I was from. And so Uh I got married and my husband was getting a degree in Dallas so we moved to Dallas and someone said to me, Missy, have you ever been to Hobby Lobby? Because I'm crafty. And I was like, no, girl, I'm faithful to these other stores. And then I walked into a Hobby Lobby. 
I was like, yes, these people are Christians. Jesus <laughs> shined favor on this place. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It is. You're so cute. Oh. I mean, it makes me so happy. I just was in there yesterday, actually, Lori. Oh, <laughs> you go in, you hear the instrumental Christian music, and you just yeah, know you are awesome. in God's place. Yes. <laughs> it is awesome. All right. Well, just out of curiosity, I mean, I'm looking at the, we're recording a video right now. If, you, if you're if you at the gym listening to this on your earbuds, we're actually recording some video. And Lauren is sitting in front of the cutest decor um, behind <laughs> her is all these cute things. So we're just wondering, do, do you currently decorate? Is your whole house decked out in cuteness from Hobby Lobby? <laughs> I do have a lot of Hobby Lobby things. Yeah. And actually, there's two pieces of artwork behind me, and they were each created by one of my sisters, actually. So wow. um, I have very creative. I have four sisters, and wow. they all are very creative. One of them painted a beautiful um, mural of some flowers. And the other one did a, um, like an abstract painting. And um, they, the, yes, their canvases were from Hobby Lobby. The paint was from Hobby Lobby. Wow. Um, see? Yeah. No, people ask if we're like crafty, if our family's crafty and stuff. And sure. so many of us are not. Like I am not at all. Like mm -hmm. most of my family is not actually creative, crafty people. They're like business people, but we, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're good at selling crafty stuff. Right. So exactly. I do have yes. some sisters though that are actually very um, talented artists, and so That's I love awesome. having their art or things from Hobby Lobby in general in my house. I love it. <laughs> so you currently work at Hobby Lobby headquarters as the ministry investment coordinator. Tell us yeah. about this role. It clearly doesn't require being crafty, right? <laughs> yeah, no, thankfully not. <laughs> thankfully not. So um, I mentioned earlier, Hobby Lobby donates 50% of its profits. And so there's mm -hmm. a department that kind of manages some of the corporate giving. And that's, we call that our ministry investments office. I love um, it. Because the company sees the uh, ministries that we partner with as an investment in the kingdom. And so it's a ministry investment. And I um, have the privilege of working in that office and it gives me the opportunity to have um, connection and relationship with some of the, the organizations that are partnered with um, through the company. So it's a lot That's of fun. Awesome. I absolutely love it. It sounds really perfect for you since you have such a huge heart for ministry in general. Yeah. This is like kind of perfect combination for you to. Yes. It's the, it's that, I'm definitely together. very happy in it. Yeah. It's awesome. incredible. Well, we mentioned when you first came on that your family um, created, founded, I mean, from nothing, the museum of the Bible. I mean, you guys love Jesus. <clears throat> you love his word. Yeah. The Bible is just um, obviously a huge part of the Christian faith. And so mm -hmm. um, it opened, what, in 2017? Yeah. yeah okay. And so how did, how did the, you know, have the idea even come about? How, tell us, take us there. Yeah. So my dad, Steve Green, he's the, he's the president of Hobby Lobby, but he, he's also now the founder and board chair for Museum of the Bible. Mm -hmm. He was, um, so a number of years ago, having conversations with someone who, who had the idea of a Bible museum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, dad thought like that was a really cool idea. And the, the family really cares about the Bible and mm -hmm. some of the projects that the company's invested in is Bible translation or um, Bible distribution, getting the Bible uh, available to people or um, the, the digital Bible. So version is a partner that Hobby Lobby has been connected with. So things around related to the Bible, um, it's kind of been a theme for uh, the projects sure. that my family's cared about. And 
So this idea of a museum of the Bible um, was was thrown out and dad thought it was cool. And he thought, you know, that, that should happen. Someone should do that. And through a series of events, uh, came to see that uh, there wasn't someone else doing it and actually he needed to be uh, working towards it. So he was like, no, like there's no way. So he just started taking kind of small steps to see um, if, if doors were opening. And um, mm-hmm. they, he had a friend who was looking at some real estate um, options and they found a great building in D.C. Um, that just happened to work out even before it was on the market. So doors just continued to open and dad says, famously says that he feels like he got tricked into being the founder because he wasn't like, it just wasn't his intention. Like for all along, he was never thinking like, oh, this is going to be like a thing that I do. He was Uh like, this will be something someone else does. Um, But eventually it was what it was. And, you know, he's the founder and board chair and he, he absolutely loves it. It's definitely a passion project of his, but um, the museum for, for a number of years, while it was being built in Washington, D.C., had a traveling exhibit called Passages. And so that went to uh, five or six cities in America. And then the artifacts in the collection then found its permanent home in Washington, D.C. at the museum when it opened November of 2017. So yeah. it's been open for a number of years now, and it's just an incredible space. Um, it's incredibly well done, top-notch, uses latest technology. It's mm-hmm. stunning space. Wow. People really feel like the Bible was um, honored well, I think, when they mm. when they go through the space. Wow. So, so you worked there as well for a time. I did, what was your yes. role at the museum? Yeah. So I, so my first job out of college was actually working for my dad for the museum. Okay. Um, I was one of the first employees and so I got to actually manage, I was a curator managing the collection of artifacts. And then I was managing the team that did the traveling exhibits. So okay. anytime there was an exhibit opening, my team managed the logistics for the transportation installation and care of the artifacts. Oh so it was super fun. I That was an amazing uh, first career that I had. And so got to do that for a number of years up to the opening in, um, the, in, in DC. And, and then I started doing some of the kind of awareness that final year before the museum opened, I was traveling around and telling people like, Hey, this museum is going to be opening. So um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was very fun to be a part of a brand new project and, and get to share about it with people. And just so people are aware, I mean, this, the museum is literally three blocks from the Capitol. So you're oh, yeah. in the heart of D.C. Yeah, it's like a block away from the Air and Space Museum, which is one of the most attended museums in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's right there in the midst of things. It's the third largest museum in Washington, oh, wow. D.C. So it's it's big. It's right there at the heart of things. And uh, yeah, it, there's like a coffee shop inside it. There's an amazing gift, gift shop. There's like a kid's area. There's a digital ceiling in the entryway. Yeah, it's like... Lots Amazing. of really fun aspects to it. It's yeah. very cool. So people should really, if they're planning a trip to DC and you're, you know, everybody goes to all the museums, like put this on your yep. list, basically. Right. You got to do it. Yes. You got to go. So your husband, Michael, he's recently launched, um, is it a nonprofit called Inspire Experiences? Okay. Yeah. So tell he's kind of even allowing through his nonprofit, he's incorporating some experiences with the museum, correct? Yes. Exactly. So Michael found Michael used to work for the Museum of the Bible. Okay. And um, the museum is considered non-sectarian, so that means they partner with 
people that care about the Bible. So they have right. Catholic partners, Protestant partners, and Jewish partners. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel Antiquities Authority has a traveling or has a exhibit in the museum, mm-hmm. um, and then the Vatican also have has an exhibit in the museum. Wow. They have a gallery, oh, wow. and so it's really Amazing. neat to see um, all of these different groups coming together and saying like, we have our differences, understandably, but we all care about this book, the Bible, and believe wow. in it, and so. Um, it's really been like a joint effort of all those groups saying we want to we want to celebrate the Bible in this way. And the mission of the museum is to invite people to engage in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So Beautiful. that's kind of um, their their mission. And then Michael, he's he's been a pastor since we've been married. Mm-hmm. He's a part he's works part time as a worship pastor at our church now. But then he founded Inspire because he saw the opportunity to take what the museum has and that vision for inviting people to engage in the Bible, but taking that a step further into more of a discipleship experience opportunity. So Inspire Experiences is a nonprofit and Michael does um, experiences in Washington, D.C. for groups, whether it's a church or a pastor's group or even our family. Our family actually went to um, on Michael's side, went to an experience just last month that Inspire put together. But the hope is to use like the resources like the museum and do personalized tours and really make the museum come alive through personal application for the wow. group that he's giving a tour. But then also going outside the museum walls to like the um, Jefferson Monument and talking about his life and how the Bible impacted and influenced his life cool. um, and the convictions that he had, but also recognizing he wasn't perfect. Like he, he, there were a lot, there's a lot of issues and we should talk about mm-hmm. that and some of the challenges, sure. um, with a lot of founders who maybe believed in the Bible or that there was a God, but didn't always have maybe their actions line up, but they did have some level of impact from the Bible sure. or go to the, um, the Martin Luther King Jr. Monument and talk about mm-hmm. his life as a pastor. Um, he is not referred to as the Reverend Martin Luther hmm. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., on at the monument and there's no reference to the fact that he was a pastor but that was he was a pastor right Um, you're right and and so that was a significant part of his life and obviously the bible influenced the way that he led and the way that he um wow um, did his activism so so he kind of makes these experiences and ties them um together in dc so it's a lot of fun for groups so the impact that this museum has to be having, especially so you see other things being born from it, um, the non-sectarian idea of this, the impact has to be huge. Do you and your family have a way of tracking some of that? Even like just the number of people who come in there or how many, the ripple effects of what this incredibly huge investment, but I mean, incredibly important yeah. one is. Yeah, there's there's lots of really cool um, numbers that I could share, and um, hundreds of thousands of people have gone through the museum now. Obviously, last year with COVID was a challenging year because yes. the museum had to be closed for um, a number of weeks uh, in DC, and they, they still are uh, DC is still somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had people from over 150 countries come through. Wow. There's been leaders of countries that have come through and toured the museum. Um, really, just really cool uh, numbers that I could share. But I think that the really special thing are just the individual stories. And so even just last month, Michael was leading mm-hmm. a tour uh, at the museum for someone. And that person um, who was an adult sent him a message afterwards and said, you know, I 
have, they considered themselves a Christian their whole life and they, you know, they attend church, read the Bible, but their experience walking through the museum of the Bible and, and having Michael kind of give a tour opened their eyes to um, the beauty of the Bible in a way they had never known. And they said brought them kind of in a deeper relationship, both with God um, and his word. And this is someone who has been a believer. And so, you know, it's it's beautiful to hear those stories and just the real impact that the museum has on people that go through its doors. And, and that's from, you know, people who are even non-believers who are just yeah. learning something new about the Bible, like its impact around the world to believers who have, have read the Bible many times through and are still gaining something new. So yes. the impact is just, I think, immeasurable. Um, so it's a, it's a really special, it's a really special museum. Yeah, so beautiful. Well, I mean, this love for the Bible, we've talked about your grandparents and your your, um, parents and your husband and, of course, you. Um, You and Michael actually wrote a book called Not What You Think, Why the Bible Might Be Nothing We Expected Yet Everything We Need. It sounds like the the point of the book, the mission of the book is so in line with the Museum of the Bible. Just share with our listeners about uh, the book you and your husband co-authored. Yeah, so we wrote that book um, right We were writing it right after the museum opened, and so much of the idea for the book came from our experience. We both worked for the museum, traveling, raising awareness about it, kind of leading up to the opening. And so we were... we're both millennials, and so some of our audiences were were, uh, millennials and Gen Zs, kind of the younger audiences we got to go meet with. And so we were getting to travel around the country and have conversations about the museum, but that often led to like conversations about what our generation thinks about the Bible and what's their engagement with the Bible been. And we saw some common themes. And so we wrote this book, just a lot of, uh, from our experience, but, um, wanting to encourage our generation to engage in the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we saw through our conversations and then we also went um, through Barna's research and looked at what they have found and saw that many in my generation and younger don't necessarily know what's in the Bible from personal engagement, but their knowledge about the Bible is through what culture or experiences have told them. So if you're taking a cultural view of what the Bible is, it's it's going to be fairly negative and um, it's going to be sound bites from media and, and, ex- and experiences that you've heard others say, or if you've had a personal experience, oftentimes you've been hurt by someone who claims to believe in the Bible or says they're a Christian or maybe is a churchgoer. And so my generation was um, not not very interested in the Bible because of some of those things. And so we, through our book, try to encourage um, our generation and, and Gen Z that, you know, don't don't take those experiences or um, what culture says about the Bible and believe it. Actually, read the Bible. Like, read the Bible for yourself. Make, make your decision based on what it teaches and what it says and what the life of Christ shows. Um, because we think... As the subtitle said, we think it'll be not what they expect, um, but it'll be actually something more than that and so much beautiful. And so we try and also then give a a high level view of the Bible and and give some um, understanding of how how God works through scripture and, and through Christ. And the kind of the beauty of it. So that was the that was the hope for not what you think. And that's kind of how we got to that book. Love it. That's beautiful. So okay. So I hear you talk about that experience, being able to write this book because you researched. 
I also know it's not related, but you'll see how it comes back around. But I also know that your family went through a huge season uh, that was kind of hard with Hobby Lobby and the Supreme Court. and <laughs> So, but then now you're getting yeah. a PhD. What was kind of some of the things that said, this is why I'm studying ethics? Was it because of what you've seen in your research with the uh, mm. with the Bible? Or is it because of experiences with that your family has gone through with Hobby Lobby and yeah. court? You know what I'm saying? What was it that pushed <laughs> yes. you to get your PhD? Yeah. So I, I've uh, I've always enjoyed learning. It's why I pursued some of my master's degrees um, while I was working full time. I just like my hobby. <laughs> yes, school <laughs> on the side. Um, so that was kind of already in me. But then it really was uh, the Supreme Court um, journey, mm-hmm. which you mentioned. So when our family went through the Supreme Court journey, two thousand twelve to two thousand fourteen, um, Hobby Lobby sued the government because the government was saying you were forcing. We're going to say you that you have to as a company, privately held company, we're forcing you to provide and pay for abortifacient drugs and devices. And um, our family said that goes against our religious, deeply held religious convictions and what we believe right. about honoring all of life. And so Hobby Lobby was in a court that court case that ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court. And that experience was really formative in that I... Um, there was obviously a lot of conversation and culture and so much of it was out of our control of what people were saying about the case and about our family. Um, that was really hurtful and hard, but it was also interesting to see many believers not know how to talk, um, about it in the public square and why convictions about this would matter and why that would affect a business. And so, I kind of this public theology, this theme of public theology and the need Mm. for, um, being able to articulate a faith lived out in the public square became a theme that um, I, I was very interested in and enjoyed um, trying to grow in. And so that led me to looking to, at PhD programs. And I found the PhD program in ethics and public policy. And um, so I did. I started that and um, uh, over halfway through the program now. So wow, it's, wow, been, it's been a challenge um, to navigate that. Uh, I'm doing it part-time, but I absolutely love it. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of work, but a lot of good work. (laughs) Yes, that's awesome. Tell her, this is your PhD. What were your undergrad, what did you study in your undergrad and then your master's? What what were those degrees in? So my my undergraduate degree was in letters, which people probably have never heard of. Letters means history, literature, and philosophy. Okay. Okay. Um, And I got a minor in religious studies. So I studied at the University of Oklahoma, so it was not a Christian school but really enjoyed just the classics. Um, And so got kind of that philosophy and religious studies going on. And then my master, my first master's was in pastoral counseling. Um, And I got that when I was working in youth ministry with my husband, he was a youth pastor and um, just saw that as a way to serve the church. So I was discipling Mm -hmm. women and wanted to be able to disciple on a deeper level. And then then I got, my second master's was in theology for lay leadership. And again, I just love theology and so got a master's. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Um, And then, yeah. And then that led to the PhD program I'm currently in. Okay. So you got a lot going on. There's quite a bit going on. On top of all this, we haven't even talked about the aspect of you are now a mother. Congratulations. Let's talk about that. Um, You've been public about your struggle with infertility for a while and the Lord. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like a challenge to even get to the point of finally the Lord is giving us um, our little daughter to adopt. So 
How how long um had when did you adopt Zion? How how's she doing? I know she went through a cancer um situation and so yeah. Give us a little life update about motherhood. Yeah, so Michael and I we we actually we started pursuing adoption first before we knew we were going to experience a fertility. Okay. So adoption was our plan A, oh, our wow. option That's A awesome. for starting a family. And so we started pursuing adoption when we were 25 years old. And um, we were started with an international adoption. My sister was adopted internationally through China. And so I had kind of always had um, a desire to go that route. So we started the process and it just ended up taking a lot longer than we even expect. I mean, we knew it would take a while, but it ended up taking seven years, which wow. is unusually long. So we had lots of hurdles, lots of challenges. Um, so in that time, while we were pursuing that, we um, we did start trying to have children biologically as well and found that infertility is our uh, experience. So we um, have for, for many years had a desire to have children and we're pursuing that through all the means that we knew, both biologically and through adoption, and none mm-hmm. of them were working out. And so it was it was a really painful season. Um, and then, so after seven long years of pursuing adoption, we did finally um, complete an adoption through China. And we went and traveled to China and brought our daughter, Zion, home. She was a year and a half old when we um, met her and brought her home. Oh. And so we were so thrilled after many, many years to yes. finally have a sweet baby. Um, and she's amazing. And we were home with her for seven weeks, and then she got uh, diagnosed with cancer. And so it was quite a roller coaster of, yes. of emotions, both of finally having something, this this child that we had longed for for years and years and years, and then having um, and having fallen in love with her. I mean, instantly, and mm-hmm. she was our daughter, and then having this diagnosis that was life threatening. So um, it it was it was. I mean, it's hard to put into words how just how challenging it was on so many in so many ways. But um, she had an emergency surgery. It was a tumor on her liver. We had an emergency surgery. We were in the hospital for many days, um, and then we had to do two rounds of chemotherapy. And so we were in the hospital for that. So we were we were having to be kind of in this quarantined life. If I went out, I was wearing a mask. Um, this was back in 2019. Wow. So it was before everyone else was doing this. So we were we were uh, ahead of the curve there. And, um, <laughs> you know, quarantining because her immune system was very low from the chemotherapy. Hmm. And she went into remis- remission, praise God, in January of 2020. And so we were like, yeah. oh, cool. Like we're, we can we finally can like, live life. Like we can like <laughs> not wear masks when we go out. We're going to like get to do normal things like parents. And then like a month later, the whole world went into quarantine oh, and masks. Goodness. And so it was like so much of basically our parenting journey has been in a uh, quarantine or mask season. Wow. So it's interesting. <laughs> it is crazy how these babies don't, they're like, oh, look, they're yeah. people without these things on their face. Yeah. Kids, are, kids are resilient, man. They're just yes. amazing. And Lauren, you guys had no clue about the cancer prior to her right. coming home. No, we did not know. Uh-uh. Yeah, wow. so that was not a part of her medical history that we received. Um, it, it, yeah, the, the the doctors in China were not aware of it. And it was an incidental find. So we were doing a scan to check on something else related to her kidney um, just to make sure things were okay and um, things were fine with that. But uh, in the scan that they did, her liver happened to be in the x-ray shot. And so the doctors 
while what they were checking was her kidney and everything was fine with that, they incidentally found this large tumor because it was in the picture that they had wow. taken. So it was a shock to everyone. Well, thank God. Wow. That, I thank God that we caught it early. Yeah. And the Lord. We could find it. Yeah. So, well, how can we pray for you as you're finalizing your next adoption? Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a baby in our home for all of, what is this, 2021? All of 2021 so far. Um, So yeah, we love our sweet son and um, we, adoption is always complex and that is still uh, showing to be the case with our second adoption. So we're Mm -hmm. waiting on all of the legal process. There's been a lot of slowdown because of COVID courts were closed for a while and so right now we're just waiting. We're waiting for things. Um, and we unfortunately just haven't been able to talk very much about him and the case because, since mm-hmm. it is in the middle of the legal process and we're just respecting the process. But people can pray for us, pray for us as we um, care for him, pray for him, and, and pray for all of the parties involved. Um, yes. We love his sweet birth mom um, and have a great relationship with her. And so you can pray for just all the parties that are involved as we're in this limbo. It's it's like a hard phase for everyone. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just for peace and for the best for our baby E. That's just so sweet that you get to be with him, though. That's not like Zion, where Zion was so far away when you knew, yeah. but you get yes. to be with him now. So it's really sweet. Yeah, really he's sweet. precious. <laughs> well, as we wrap up, Lauren, this is a question we ask um, every woman who comes on. Is there one piece of advice or warning or encouragement you would want to leave with women who want to honor God through their vocational calling? Yeah, Um there's so many things that come to mind with that question, but I think I I, I think of the theme the, the, that I've just seen in my grandpa's example, which is to just have a kingdom mindset and an eternal mindset with um, everything that you do in your um, calling and your vocational calling. And so whatever that looks like, that's going to play out in a million different ways. But as you're making decisions, as you're leading others, as you're interacting with um, clients or as you're interacting with people that you work with, uh, just have that perspective that what we know to be true is what we find in scripture and, and things that are going to matter eternally are, are the most important. And so invest how you can in to make a difference for eternal purposes rather than um, things that won't matter once our lives are over. So I think that that perspective really um, at a high level can just um, really have a beautiful impact and ripple effect. Sure. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's a good word. Well, Lauren, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on and really just sharing your life with us, sharing us uh, with us a little bit about what it's like to be you and all the things God has, uh, mm-hmm. how he has used you and your thank family you. to really be such a, a, make a great impact on the culture mm-hmm. for, for him. And so we appreciate you coming on and I know this will be an encouragement to our listeners. So thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. You guys are great. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. And thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe 
through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.